Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great podcasts is about helping Latter-day Saints like you tackle deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping these podcasts alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the programs on this podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. Or making a donation at mormondiscussions.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussions, plural with an S on the end, dot org. Donate today and support programs like Mormon Discussion, Radio Free Mormon, Mormon Awakenings, The Mormon Wellness Project, Mormon History Podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope, and others. If these programs benefit you and you want to see these continue, please consider making an annual donation starting today. All donations are tax exempt inside the United States and go towards keeping the podcast alive. Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great programs. Helping you navigate Mormonism one episode at a time. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of the Cognitive Dissidence Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. The Cognitive Dissidence Podcast is about examining the mechanisms in psychology within religion, and we use Mormonism as an example, although we touch on other religions and faiths as well. Today, I want to talk about the mechanism that is in place in high-demand fundamentalist religions that encourages members to not question and reports them if they do. And so this is important because, and and the other thing too is in future episodes, we're going to begin diving into uh, cognitive development, faith development, and helping all of us see the transition from an egocentric perspective, which is where we start off when we're born as babies, and then moving through to ethnocentric, and then world-centric, and then cosmic-centric, and using that as a backbone for development and understanding the um, tribal mechanisms or even the individual mechanisms in our brain that are in place as we make that transition. But I say that because when we are in an ethnocentric space, we love our tribe. Our tribe is everything. Our tribe is the right tribe. And all those other tribes, something's wrong with them. And there's a very us versus them mentality. And we see the world in a very binary way, black and white, us and them, good and bad. In an ethnocentric perspective, we're very loyal to the tribe. We want to fit in with the tribe. We want the tribe to see us as uh, loyal to it. We want to make sure that others are staying in within the rules and boundaries that our tribe has set. And so in that ethnocentric space, that's where high demand fundamentalist religions thrive. And one, I can't remember who it was, but somebody once said that a cult is somebody, is a group who can't let you leave with your dignity. And I think that's important to note in this episode, that high demand fundamentalist religions, it's it's crucial to them. That, there is, that they paint it as there is no good reason. There's no good reason somebody would leave our tribe. And hence, our story, our narrative, the things we tell ourselves around those who leave, they are stories full of why that person fell off the path. That person was lost. That person did something wrong. And in these groups we also have a mechanism for reporting people 
tattletelling on people, turning in people who question our tribe, who question the beliefs of our tribe, question the healthiness of our tribe. And we have these mechanisms in place to get rid of people and to paint them as bad, evil, less than, flawed, weak at the exact same time. And you'll notice in most religions, so say I'm a Methodist at the Methodist church down the street, if I choose to leave that church and to attend some other church, Methodism has gotten to the place where it is no longer using mechanisms to make someone feel less than for walking away from that particular worship style. And so you could leave the Methodist church down the street from you and find the Baptist church three blocks away and nobody nobody at least not institutionally the the group as a whole is not guilting you or shaming you for having done that now you still might have a few members who are in that ethnocentric perspective deeply and deeply loyal to their tribe who who still make comments and say things and we all know people within groups who do that so if we take for instance scientology right scientology instructs its members that when somebody questions or somebody comes across material that seeks to expose Scientology for what it is, Scientology has mechanisms that require family, in order to show their loyalty and to remain in the, in the faith, to turn in their family members who are questioning or coming across um, critical material. They then take these people and say, now you have to go through um, this reporting system where they hook you up to this e-meter, right? And you have to sit with another person and they're going to question you about the critical material you've come across, about the things you've said to friends and family, about the questions and doubts that you have in your mind. And so Scientology has this process which gets the tribe to tattletell and singles you out in a way as to shame and marginalize you in order to compel you to stay in line and not question and not doubt. Jehovah Witnesses have this, this same um, type of, of mechanism within their faith. So, for instance, uh, this is off the Wikipedia page. Doctrines of Jehovah Witnesses are established by the governing body, and the denomination does not tolerate dissent over doctrines and practices. Members who openly disagree with the movement's teachings are expelled and shunned. In the Jehovah Witness faith, you are shunned. And what that means is that your family, your friends who are still active believing Jehovah's Witness, they are going to essentially distance themselves from you and cut you out of their life. And so you're essentially dead to them. And this happens within the Amish religion. This happens within Jehovah Witnesses. This happens within Scientology. This happens in Mormonism as well, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, the, the members who openly disagree with the movement's teachings are expelled and shunned. Witness publications strongly discourage uh, followers from questioning doctrine and counsel received from the governing body, reasoning that it is to be trusted as part of God's organization. They also warn members to avoid independent thinking, claiming such thinking was introduced by Satan the devil and would cause division. 
Those who openly disagree with official teachings are condemned as apostates who are mentally diseased. So there's a lot of negative connotation on questioning and doubts, and there are systems in place that report people, turn people in, and create the shame and marginalization and distance of those who have come across or talking about or asking about critical, uh, the critical side of the conversation. All of these high-demand fundamentalist religions, in one way or another, uh, dissuade members from looking at information on the internet. And while Mormonism, I think, on the surface says, like, yeah, you know, any any education is good. Any we should read from the best books. We should study it out in our mind. Mormonism also has conversations in its general conferences where it speaks down on and belittles the search on the internet for an, for um, information that doesn't come from the church itself. And, and so you see there's almost a mocking of people who learn things on the internet that are from outside of church sources. And this happens in all of these religions. Scientology is deeply persuasive to its members that they should not go searching for the opposite story on the internet. Jehovah's Witnesses are deeply persuaded to stay away from the internet and not search for for stories that are contradictory to it. And again, there's the shaming and marginalization. In Mormonism, in its manuals, we tell stories of members who no longer were Mormon and stopped believing. And we tell stories that essentially make fun of them and belittle them and, and mock them for being less than in lots of different ways. But I want to talk today specifically about this idea of turning somebody in. And we can get to the persuasion not to use the internet. We can get to other facets of this protective mechanism. But today I want to talk about turning people in. And we see this, if we watch Leah Remini and we watch the 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 conversations that go around Scientology, we see very easily the moment you begin to ask questions and have doubts about the faith, there are mechanisms in place within Scientology that have its members turning you in. Some of this is very informal in that the institution teaches its members that doubts are bad, that contradictory information is a lie, that it comes from a negative source, and hence we have to protect ourselves from that kind of exposure. So that creates a natural, ethnocentric, loyal mechanism that wants to protect the tribe because you're part of the tribe, I'm part of the tribe, we need to fit in the tribe, the tribe is counting on us. But some of these mechanisms are also very formal in that there are groups created in order to find, to seek out those who are exposing themselves on social media and other public venues as people who are raising questions or who have doubts. And so... um, We'll, we'll focus here on Mormonism. Mormonism does this two ways. The informal is that it instructs its members not to trust the internet if it's an outside source. It teaches its members 
that most of what is online that contradicts the church is half-truths, it's deception, it's misleading, it's not being honest and fair. It teaches that questions are good, and by questions, they've defined it specifically as questions where you receive answers that lead you back to faith, and that doubts are bad. And doubts they've interpreted as having questions where the answers take you further away from the faith. So when you define things in that way, and you make the fitting into the tribe so important, and you tell all the members that trust us, you only need to trust us, we have the truth, and any information that is counter to what we're telling you is misleading, deceptive, it's antagonistic, it's anti-Mormon, then you build within the system this informal policing. And so when somebody raises a question on social media or makes a statement contradictory to the stance that the church holds, other members of that congregation will turn that member in to their bishop, to their ecclesiastical leader. And so this informal policing begins. For instance, if you are in a class and you're either teaching or you're making comments, and your teaching or comments raise questions about the institution's narrative, Mormonism's narrative, because we're talking about Mormonism. Pretty quickly, it only takes two, three, four, five voices in that room before that ecclesiastical leader, that bishop, will sit down with that member and ask them either to stop raising doubts, or if that person is uh, serving as a teacher in that, in that class, that person will be released quite quickly. Even if 80% of the class is enjoying the lessons and is feeling enlivened by these new discussions and feel like they're learning new things, the, the ecclesiastical leader has this social pressure on him. It's not, it's not a manipulative motive on his part. He simply feels this peer pressure to be loyal to the institution. He has members who are questioning his loyalty if he doesn't handle it. And so it takes quite a bit of strength in an ethnocentric religious system to balk at that pressure and say, like, no, this guy's doing a good job teaching. This lady's doing a good job teaching. That person has a right to raise these questions, and we're going to let them do that. And I've watched... Over my time in Mormonism, I've watched leaders start off saying that's perfectly okay to do that. It's perfectly okay to teach the truth, and if the truth causes us to have to change the narrative in our head, then so be it. I've also seen leaders say it's perfectly okay to raise questions in classes. It's perfectly okay to, to ask things, even if the answers are difficult for us to deal with. But within a few short weeks or months, those same leaders reverse their perspective because they're getting so much social pressure from members within the tribe to try and put the way in which the class handles the church narrative back the way it was. But there's also a very formal system in these institutions. And in Mormonism, Mormonism has a... um, a committee, 
at the highest levels called the Strengthening Church Members Committee. And on this committee, a few of the apostles will serve, as well as other members of the general authorities, which is the upper echelon of leadership. So you have maybe a member of the first presidency, you'll have maybe two apostles who are underneath the first presidency, and then maybe you'll have like six or seven members of the first and second quorum of the 70, which are underneath the apostles. And this Strengthening Church Members Committee, what they do is they spend their time raking newspapers, social media, Facebook, different venues, uh, presentations given over the course of the year to find and seek out those members who are raising questions, who are um, sharing facts and data that show that the church's narrative is not true. They look for people who are raising questions about the mechanisms within the institution that are not healthy. And then the Strengthening Church Members Committee begins to accumulate files on these people. And so I have, I have spoken to people who are friends or know quite well others who serve on this committee or assist this committee and have been told that, you know, your file folder is so big. It's, it's two inches thick, you know? And being a public person myself who raises criticism of the church's narrative and points out the unhealthiness within it, I myself have had folks within the church who either serve on this committee or assist this committee send out letters to where, where I was going to go and do a presentation, where I was going to go and serve and do something, where I was going to go and give a talk, where I was going to go and, uh, and be part of a program. These folks have sent out letters, and I know this, these folks have sent out letters uh, warning those who were uh, hosting me, those who were uh, having me participate in their programs, to, to not have Bill Real as part of this presentation, to not have Bill Real as part of this program, to not have Bill Real uh, come to your neck of the woods. And, and I know that such things happen for an absolute 100% fact. And, and so I want to speak for a moment. We've talked about this Strengthening Church Members Committee, but this, this is way more manipulative than that. It's one thing to have an official committee and for it to be publicly understood that that's what this committee does. It's another thing when you talk about those who assist this committee. And in Mormonism, members are constantly now in this information age, there are members, you know, hundreds of members every day who are discovering new bits of information and for the first time in their life having deep doubts and questions about their faith. And Mormonism, informally, at least, at least under at least the best I understand informally, Mormonism as an institution has created uh, groups to answer those questions and to relieve those doubts. And one such group is Fair Mormon. So if you go on to I think it's fairmormon.org. If you go to Fair Mormon, this this site, and, and again, I'm not saying they were directly set up by the church. But Fair Mormon is, an, is a group of active, believing Latter-day Saints mostly. They do have some folks uh, who are members of their group who 
have either very nuanced perspectives or even some who are non-Latter-day Saints. But the majority of them are believing, active, faithful Mormons, Latter-day Saints. And as far as I know, the church never behind the scenes set them up, but they acknowledge that Elder Neil A. Maxwell made a statement once along the lines that a critic should not get a free pass. No uncontested slam dunks. And that Mormonism should be responsive to the criticisms in a way that members do not think there's just one side to these stories. So organizations pop up, and one of those is Fair Mormon. And if you go into Fair Mormon's website and you are an active, believing Latter-day Saint, and for the first time in your life you have questions, Fair Mormon's website is designed to have you think and see that this is a place that's here to help you. This is a website that's designed to assist you in your questions. There is a place where you can send them a question. And if you send them a question, they will do their best to answer the question. If, if you have a criticism, they have an a entire repository of thousands of clickable links where every possible criticism that has ever been raised in the church has a discussion going on where they show you the most faithful interpretations of the data and say and impose that it, it likely happened or probably happened or did happen, something like this. And that way, if you go on with one issue and you click the link to it and the critic has shared the data with you and explained why it's a problem, Fair Mormon will then flip that on its head and say, this isn't a problem at all and here's why. And, and I have no problem with that. I, I really do appreciate all of us having conversations from multiple angles so that we can arrive at the truth. What my struggle is with Fair Mormon is that they also serve as a informal assistant to the Strengthening Church Members Committee. So picture this for a moment. Fair Mormon has made it clear, by the way, that their number one priority is to protect the church. So you put yourself out there as a website that's designed to help people, but you acknowledge that your very first top priority is to protect the name of the church, right? So if somebody comes to you and your answers aren't satisfactory, and this person, all you're doing is showing them that there are not good answers out there and that their doubts are valid and that something really is wrong here. The church will at that moment see that you are an enemy because you are detrimental to their top priority, which is to protect the church. On, on another note, Fair Mormon has made it clear through its leadership that it is more than happy to assist the church in finding those who have doubts and who the church's answers and their answers are not satisfactory and to make the church aware of who those people are and to turn them in. Now, I know that sounds crazy, right? Like, Bill Real, you're making a pretty extreme accusation that Fair Mormon would take doubters who the church's answers and Fair Mormon's answers and other apologetic group groups, their answers are not satisfying the doubter, and the doubter is getting 
more serious about his doubts being valid and reasonable. And now he's raising a voice to his family or friends or on social media about how these questions he has are not being addressed and don't have good answers or how his questions are real and he needs somebody to speak to them. And and so I'm making the claim here that Fair Mormon works with the Strengthening Church Members Committee and with the church to turn these people in. I know it seems like a crazy claim, except here is Fair Mormon's John Lynch acknowledging just that very thing. Are you supported by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in any way? Uh, We receive absolutely zero financial support from the church. Obviously, um, our desire is to support the church itself. We have um, a strictly arm's-length relationship with the church, obviously. We will reach out to them when we find that there's something that um, might be of interest to them relative to things happening in the news and that sort of thing, because we do have our ear to the rail, as it were. And so there might be occasions where we will pass information along uh, when we understand that there's something that the church might want to address from a public relations standpoint. Does the church ever ask for your help on anything? There have been times when they have asked us specifically about movements um, or about individuals and what we know about their activity online, that sort of thing. And of course, when when we're aware of it, uh, we'll share information as appropriate. Now think about this. You're an active Believing Latter-day Saint. You come across the CES letter at cesletter.com and you read it. And you now realize the story the church told you is problematic. And for the first time in your life, you have doubts. You're like, wait a minute, this is not the story I grew up with. So you seek out help. All you want to do is resolve your doubts and go back to being an active, believing Latter-day Saint. So you look for help. And one of the first places you're going to find help is fairmormon.org. So you go on to fairmormon.org and you begin asking questions, but their answers are not reasonable, rational, or satisfactory to you. So your doubts increase. As your doubts increase, you begin to reach out to family and friends on Facebook. Now, Fair Mormon already has, unless you stayed anonymous, Fair Mormon already has your name. They've got your email. If you choose then to go public and have conversations, Fair Mormon is very active online at keeping eyes on conversations and watching those conversations take place. I know for a fact that members of the Strengthening Church Members Committee, as well as members of Fair Mormon, create anonymous identities on social media, which, by the way, violates Facebook's rules, and infiltrates various groups and communities online, and then sits back. They build trust by having a profile that looks like they belong to the group, looks like they would fit right in, And then members of the Strengthening Church Members Committee, as well as members of Fair Mormon, as they infiltrate these groups, they then um, make copies, either by copying and pasting texts or by screenshots of the conversations that go on in these communities. They then take these notes, these accumulated screenshots and copy and pasting of people's comments. They then produce for the church a accumulated 
total of all of this and then send these these dossiers back to the church, back to local leaders of that person, as well as informing anybody who they think needs to know about the threat that this person is to the narrative of the church, they then send it on to them. Now, I I speak here out of knowledge firsthand of much of this, as well as knowing folks who can verify other parts of what I'm just saying. So at the end of the day, again, I understand somebody running into doubts for the first time is naive to this system, and there's no way to warn them that if they don't come back into orthodoxy or at least into loyal belief, that Fair Mormon will absolutely see that person as part of the problem in their need to carry out their first order of business, which is loyalty to the institution of Mormonism. And so today on the Cognitive Dissidents podcast, what we wanted to do was to help you see that These religious systems, these high-demand fundamentalist religions, have these mechanisms to protect itself and shield themselves. And one of them is that formally and informally, they make it clear that when someone doesn't fit in the tribe and someone is raising questions and doubts about the tribe, when someone is telling others that that tribe's information is not correct and not healthy, that there are mechanisms in place to turn those people in and then to get the tribe to distance themselves from them. That is today's episode of the Cognitive Dissidents Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Don't stop thinking. Don't stop exploring. All right, stop. Collaborate and, listen. and to be perfectly frank, there have been times when members or leaders in the church have simply made mistakes. There may have been things said or done that were not in harmony with our values, principles, or doctrine. Brothers and sisters, stay in the boat. Use your life jackets. Hold on with both hands. Avoid distractions. Give Brother Joseph a break. Some have asserted that more members are leaving the church today and that there is more doubt and unbelief than in the past. This is simply not true. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has never been stronger. How can homosexual members of the church live and remain steadfast in the gospel? First, I want to change the question. There are no homosexual members of the church. Why would anyone leave? Sometimes we assume it is because they have been offended or lazy or sinful. Actually, it is not that simple. In fact, there is not just one reason that applies to the variety of situations. Some of our dear members struggle for years with the question whether they should separate themselves from the church. 
Our whole strength rests on the validity of that vision. It either occurred or it did not occur. If it did not, then this work is a fraud. Right, stop, collaborate and listen. Ice is back, my brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly, flowing like a harpoon, daily and nightly.